Hello and welcome to The Faking Of. This is the podcast where we fake our way through the behind the scenes story of the most iconic movies of our lives. I'm the film historian who was maybe sort of there, as well as the cruise ship director who makes you say silly stuff, Nick Jeremio. And I'm here to talk to you today about an iconic movie from the early thousands with one of my good friends and an expert in cryptocurrency working on the public relations side, which I think is a perfect uh, addition to this movie because it is all about public relations, I think, at its essence. Mr. Joseph Hunt. Hi, Joe. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us on The Faking Of. I'm so excited to be here, Nick, especially to talk about this movie. It's like such a cornerstone of my life I've realized over the last week. <laughs> Tell me why. Um, I think it was at a pivotal moment in my like adolescence, like as a late bloomer um, in 2004, uh, I was just about to turn 13 um, going into eighth grade. And that was like, I don't know if you remember George Bush running for reelection, but it was like a big deal in the South. Um, and like this whole movie came out that summertime and it was like, you know, 13 going on 30. Like, <laughs> I would like to say that I can be like, yes, I do remember that election being a big deal, but I was like, oh, Lady Gaga. Actually, Lady Gaga hadn't been born yet, but I was still gay. So <laughs> it, was and, summer, it was the summer I realized that like I was in a cult and I was still saying all the cult stuff, but I was like, as soon as this is over, I'm out. Like, I'm not going to be in this cult the next time. <laughs> Ooh, self-aware cult membership. And that all was teased out by a Cinderella story starring Hilary Duff? I do truly think so. It was like the right in the middle, like July 4th, July, middle of July weekend when like that movie came out. And That's... Fascinating. Okay. Well, then, and then I think it would be best if you, in one sentence, could sum up what the story of a Cinderella story is. Knowing your worth and not taking shit and getting what you want and being authentic. That's absolutely true. It's also a modern retelling of Cinderella. <laughs> it is. Um, I find the whole a bit like the Prince Charming Cinderella thing very forced on the whole uh, overall narrative because it, there's so many like gaps of how it's not Cinderella. Um, but I'll give it that it's also, of course, a romance movie. But I think it's about female empowerment. I think it's about understanding who your real family is your, or your second family um, and, you know, not being tied by these weird archaic legal definitions of, of family and, and what you have to do in your life. Totally. I love that. And I think that's one of the reasons why this movie has become um, like an iconic sleeper hit because it got very negative reviews when it first mm -hmm. came out for a lot of the reasons that you first mentioned that a lot of the like ways they adapted Cinderella to high school felt nonsensical. I want to go back to the pitch meeting for a Cinderella story and figure out how some of these decisions were made. So um, in this position, you're going to be uh, the screenwriter for a Cinderella story. I'm the studio executive. And you're telling me you want to make a modern, romantic, teen retelling of Cinderella. 
Um, so you've just pitched that to me and I've got some questions. Okay. Uh, so basically I need you to justify some of the adaptations that have been made in, in your script. Okay. So, you know, the, the when I think of Cinderella, the story, one of the integral parts is Cinderella's dad dying at the beginning. And that's something I think we want to be really sensitive about um, in, in today's climate. So traditionally in the story of Cinderella, uh, it's kept very mysterious how the dad passes, but he's away, maybe on a journey. So we wanted to know um, how, in your version, can we handle the the death of the father how do you how does your script handle it in a sensitive way um i would say that it forces it up front and center it's very violent um and you know there's no gore or anything but like it's surprisingly detailed or like yeah what is it this setting becomes the story and it's like easily it quickly places the user or the viewer (laughs) right in uh, Southern California with an earthquake and it's like a disaster movie. It's like not a Cinderella story movie. It's actually, you know, shows that like modern, we build all of our lives on top of this sand crust that at any moment can destroy your life. Um, and you have to move on and live with your I, ugly stepmother and her ugly stepdaughters who become your best stepsisters. This is the, like such a powerful part of the story. I think in any time they tell the story of Cinderella, like the idea of your like only closest family member dying and then like your life becoming a hell on earth because of the person that he married. Like there's something very scary about that. And this earthquake thing, I forgot about until I rewatched this two days ago. And I was like, Oh, she <laughs> like, she's like, my life was a fairy tale. And then she married, he married some nerdy woman. They made Jennifer Coolidge look like Lois Lane for that first scene. <laughs> right? I was these... like, is that her in makeup? I can't even tell. <laughs> they just like did chose not to put blush on her. And they were like, oh my God, now she's a librarian. Uh, but that's more like Jennifer Coolidge. And I think it's probably like her more of her natural hair texture. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden she's like, and then one day it was all taken away when the San Fernando earthquake hit. And Fiona, the wife, called the dad. And that, did you get that? Yes. He I didn't get that. And he leaves her to go save her and dies. And that's because she couldn't handle it. She should have. What do you think adult. specifically? She's an adult in Southern California. She should have better earthquake prep, especially if you have children in a two story house in the valley. I right. Why isn't know. she calling for her children? Being like, my two kids, where are you? She's like, oh, I need help. Like, girl, get it together. Yeah. Hold on you know, to something. I, I, I would like if this movie ever gets made, you know, as part of the pitch, mm-hmm. <laughs> that we actually include pictures of Jennifer Coolidge being like, Sam! We're all the dad. Hillary Duff, but who's the dad? Frank? I don't no. know. The- Hal. Because it's Hal. Hal! Oh my god. Yes, I want to see her in a room like <laughs> being rocked I mean, around. Tits jiggling. <laughs> oh my god, that would be so good. Okay, so yeah, we'll put that on the wish list for if this movie gets made. So far you're selling me. What would be some other specific LA San Fernando Valley ways for the dad to die in your opinion? Just so we have some backup. A car crash. 
You mean like earthquake or like how he dies in the house or? No, any way for the dad to die that feels L.A. Um, Unfortunately, the as exhibited in this movie and other points, uh, I think we could really drive home vehicular death because oh yeah, drivers in California, big wide lanes and entitled people behind the wheel. Also true. Yeah, that's a really great point. He would definitely get smashed by a car, like as a pedestrian by a drunk driver or something. Just like in another Hillary Duff movie, Raise Your Voice, the brother gets killed by a drunk driver. She's a tragic character. Voice of a generation. (laughs) Yeah, all of her friends and family die in movies. It gives her a great... Okay, so wait. I'm happy with how you're killing the dad, but what is the glass slipper in your version? Of Uh, So in this movie, uh, it is the cell phone the flip phone that okay uh, she that leaves. she has clipped to her ankle <laughs> <laughs> i mean so I, would like, I think it should be a lot better but that's kind of what's in the, what's in the yeah well i mean you wrote this so tell me your thoughts on why you think the okay. glass slipper that, makes sense well you need the glass slipper if it's going to be a cinderella story so um she that's how they communicate and talk and it's something that he should have been able to figure out if he opened it right there were no passcodes at that time he said it was locked and that he was just getting he could just see text messages coming in like i need you and um the friar needs fixing and the the male friends are like oh that's kinky dude it's like what the, <laughs> why are you saying kinky in this movie about 16 year olds Right. That was the whole, um, the whole thing is awful. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple other moments that will, that will probably come up that are, that didn't age well. Me telling you what I want to do with the movie. And then you're the studio and you're like, sorry, we're going to make it a phone. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that part too. But first you have to defend your script. <laughs> okay. And my script. It's so that it's 2004 and yeah. cell phones were fine. I think that was like all the rage, but I, you know, not everyone has cell phones. So they'll look at it as like, this is great. Yeah. And that was a, a paid phone integration. That was like a new phone at the time. And they even show an establishing shot of the high school where like all the kids are on their phones and hear beep, 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 beep. So right. I remembered like, they're trying to really show us like we're the 21st century now. So I buy it. The kids will dig it. We're going to sell some phones with the glass slipper. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, but that's okay. <laughs> we don't need that's for kids. So, next and final question: uh, In your version of a Cinderella story, who is Prince Charming? What's that character's name? Oh, his name is. Well, the actor I would want to play this role is Chad mm-hmm. Murray. You know. Okay. So, um, but what is? <laughs> I think his name is Frank. Oh, it's I think um, for from I have the script in front of me and it says his name's Austin Ames. Austin Ames, yes, correct. Is the choice of an alliterative name, do you think, intentional? Very. I think that you have to pick an easy name that everyone's gonna remember the first time they say it, because then all of my characters are gonna repeat his name anytime. They're gonna repeat the whole name, like instead of the opposite of share, you know. Right. That's a very good point. Like when someone's a serial killer, you say their full name, like Chad Michael Murray. 
Although Austin is, you know, a cultural capital of America. People will recognize it. Um, But yeah, the alliteration is definitely intentional. Okay, well, just in case the studio needs some backups, can we go down uh, alphabetically back and forth? So you'll do a B name, I'll do C name, and then just we'll do that until um, someone hesitates too long. Okay, you go first. Okay, so Austin Ames, Brandon Buchanan. Clay Country. Dalton Drayton. Edward Elegant. Frank Funhouse. Gerald Jimenez. (laughs) Harold. Oh, is it H? Is H right? Oh, I lost. I lost it. But I was ready for I, so I don't think you were going to make it. Is G... (laughs) Is it G-H, A-B-C-D-E-F-G-H? Yep, I was on the right track, so I should have said Harold Hector. I'll admit that I messed up with Jimenez, because that's spelled with a J, technically. Yeah, but we don't know. You don't know this character. (laughs) You wrote it. (laughs) Um, All right, so thank you for satisfying my questions at the pitch meeting. We're going to go ahead and greenlight this production. Guess how much the budget was that we gave you. Um, I would really like $10 million for this movie. Okay, is that what you think that it costs to make this movie? Guess the, what IMDb listed as the estimated budget for this movie. $50 million. Is that your final answer? That's my final answer. Great. Estimated actual budget was very modest, $19 million. Um, and... It makes sense now that I think about it. I feel like they probably paid Hillary Duff at least five million for this. Like, uh, and then the rest of it is like, what is there? That's there's. It's not an expensive movie to shoot. It's like a high school, um, and literally nothing. Ha- the uh, big set pieces were like the car wash scene where the girls ran through the car wash. That scene. That was scary. Expensive. The car crash scene. The drive through LA, I'm sure. Um, Oh, yeah. Shooting on location in a lot of those places actually would be on its own very expensive. There was that CGI shot where they zoom out and show that uh, Fiona's lawn is the only one that's green during the drought. That was very impressive. Oh, I thought it was just color coloration. (laughs) I think it was like a lot of things. I think like they photoshopped like brown lawns and like expanded the look of it i think it was i think there's a lot of movie magic that we can get done with our 19 million budget there i want to talk to you first about casting as we go into production yes because according to imdb i quote rupert grint won the role of austin ames but had to drop out due to commitments to harry potter and the prisoner of azkaban for the role of Austin Ames, and it went to Chad Michael Murray. What do you think of this? Interesting. Um, well, I would have to say I don't like either of them. I want, <laughs> <laughs> but I think for the movie that of those two, Chad Michael Murray is surprisingly like I can't believe he wasn't cast first. Um, Seriously, I'm trying to picture Rupa Grint being like I'm, the yeah, pr- but they probably wanted to. Yeah, but they probably wanted to be really princey about it and like 
make it like he seems like a prince and maybe they would have changed the script to have him be like he's from england because <laughs> he was already in three harry potter movies so they would be like he's his dad's like a his dad's like a his dad's like a king of yeah would he, like a, american, would he have been an american that's interesting because then he also would have if he was a british boy with the accent who moves here and he's rich he's playing football he's the quarterback i mean could happen but like they don't have that sport there they don't teach people to play it so i find that hard as someone who like was forced to watch football for like eight years of my life <laughs> yeah but they probably would have made a ton of rewrites if this was happening like they would have been like oh it's it's soccer now and also he's i don't know his dad's a, what is a british thing i'm trying to be like his dad is a his could also be his mother his mother is a, a senator what is a senator in in harry potter well, in Harry Potter is magical, but in England, there's the parliament and you have lords and... Uh, they would be like, he's from the Ministry of... His dad's in the Ministry of Magic. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I want to have a um, phone call where you're the, you're the producers of this movie and I'm Rupert Grint and I'm going to quit because... Turns out there's some scheduling issues with Harry Potter. Hello, this is uh, Mayor Max. <laughs> Hello, Mayor Max. It's me, Rupert Grint. How's it? How's it today? Oh, thank you so much for calling, Rupert. Um, we gotta talk, right? Listen, I can walk up right to the chase. This Harry Potter thing's blowing up, right? I didn't know it was gonna be this big, but turns out. Or they need me for a fourth movie, so you're going to stick around for that, okay? So you are going to miss out on being in a Hilary Duff movie at the dawn of your career? Tell that Hilary bird she looks gorge. I wish I could hold her hand in this movie and play some cricket and do the car wash scene. So fun. Love the water effects and all of it. But yeah, 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 yeah. Going to gonna have to say no, mate. Ooh, he's going very Australian. Well, you are missing out on the opportunity of a lifetime. Uh, our second choice is Chad Michael Murray, who's blowing up right now. And, you know, if you want to get your own kind of not Harry Potter, be second wheel to Mr. Harry Potter, you should rethink and then come make this movie. We won't make it in L.A. <laughs> if that's what you need. Well, those are some tempting offers there, but I'm going to have to stay firm here. I think I think my movie career is going to be great after this Harry Potter series. I think I'm going to get some leading roles uh, all the time. You'll, so. probably, you'll definitely get some because, you know, you're, work, you're working alongside uh, Emma Watson and what's-his-face, Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah, the whole <laughs> sky. Awesome. You get, he'll probably get some cool roles too. But you know what, Rupert? Uh, I talked to a psychic once, and they told me that you're going to work on a really awful M. Night Shyamalan remake or new make, who knows. Um, so good luck with that. Oh, that sounds like a psychic I need to talk to myself. What's my agent's number again? I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> and then he hung up because I could not do that accent anymore. I cannot take myself seriously. Can you imagine I was like... I, that's why I made myself Rupert. I was like, um, Joe's gonna have a Sorry. Joe's gonna combust if I have to have him. <laughs> no, somebody needs to be the studio executive. And if you listen to our voices, which one of us sounds like the studio executive, and which one of us sounds like a fictional 
crazed person from the United Kingdom. <laughs> the casting is now settled. We'll go with Chad Michael Murray. But I want to point out something about the production design here that I, I wonder if you noticed. I didn't notice oh. this until um, the I read this on IMDb that many characters have distinct color schemes. Almost all of these tie into the color schemes of their corresponding characters in Disney's Cinderella. Did you notice any character colors? Um, you know, now that you mention it, but it, uh, I have to admit that I'm not like the reason why I like this movie is not because I'm a Cinderella fan. It's probably, I don't even, when you said in the real Cinderella, her dad dies, I was like, he did. <laughs> I, was like, oh, <laughs> I know. Yeah, Cause she has evil stepmother, but like, I do. I've probably only seen that in the lower amount of like Disney movies um, up there with like yeah. Sleep beauty. I don't, I couldn't tell you the real plot of that movie at all. I don't know. Oh yeah. Um, she sleeps, but tired you know, girl. When you said that, so if that was intent, so now that I am thinking clearly, uh, the fairy God mothers, there's three in the cartoon, right? The diff- and they're all different yes. colors, pink, blue, and green. No, there's only one in the cartoon. You're thinking of sleeping beauty. <laughs> so the fairy godmother is regina king obviously yes um and her color scheme is queen pink i think is that right blue for sure or pink i wait well her, What's her name again? pink, but i feel like her interior of her house was also kind of pink and she lived in like a hacienda style house fiona primarily wears pink samantha and austin primarily wear blue Brianna primarily wears green and yeah. Gabriella primarily wears red. Red. Yeah. Okay. So the stepsisters, definitely. I remember being like, wow, these, I thought it was more of them just trying to make them quirky teens because the loser sisters that only those girls or guys that only wear a single color when they're in high Honestly, school. them, yeah, them adapting the colors of the stepsisters from mm-hmm. like gowns to matching velour tracksuits was the most seamless adaptation of the cinderella whole also you know update. what turned me up watch uh watching this recently was they're twin sisters right <laughs> yes one is like 26 seconds older and two i thought that if it was like twin sisters or twin brothers or whatever um that they were either they were only non-identical if they were not the same like biological chromosomes is that accurate or no I know they, they, they can to be identical because I've only ever seen identical sisters or brothers or, you know, no, they could still be paternal and be sisters. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Trip me up. Cause that's just, like, cause that's just like, I'm pretty sure because that's just like, um, a, a matter of chance that two eggs get fertilized separately rather right. than one egg splitting into two babies. So it could just be a male and a female chromosome separately listen to me talking like i had no like a punnett square (laughs) don't listen to any of that but i'm pretty sure they had it figured out also you wrote the script you tell me why there (laughs) i feel like this is something your studio changed (laughs) yeah that's a good point yeah we had some changes for example you probably had like an actual glass slipper and we were like we need it to be a motorola flip phone I was trying to get the Olsen twins to play those twins, and you were like, this girl has to be in the movie. We could not afford the Olsen twins, and they would not play second (laughs) fiddle to Hilary Duff, who's barely been in the game compared to them. 
Okay, so um, similarities. Um, well, the phone slipper thing was like that wasn't. Yeah, that was the most nonsensical because, like, if you have her phone, you can just figure out who she is, and she acts like her phone's not missing this whole time. She's like, <laughs> and like trying on the slipper is like the part of Cinderella that like the everyone lines up for, and you're like, is this your? phone okay to be but like this scene was inspired as the screenwriter this scene was inspired when i was 16 i was living in greece and rode a public bus home and i had my flip phone out mm. orange motorola and fell asleep on the bus because that's me uh I, <laughs> it was like eight o'clock for the wait pause because for those who don't know joe falls asleep everywhere everywhere we used to go to the movies and, and like seconds in he is like in REM sleep Movie? so I can only imagine public transportation like did you ever just wake up at the end of the subway line like in Coney Island anyway uh, go on only ha- that has only happened once when I was a drunk college kid in New York um but the bus was actually I was coming I wasn't a party kid yet and I was just it was like eight o'clock and I'd been up since 5 a.m and I was coming home from track practice. I was like exhausted, but I was like, if I stay on my phone, I'll be, I'll, I'll, I won't, I won't miss my stop. And they were coming up on my stop, and like the bus was slamming, and like my phone fell off my lap, and I have no, I, I didn't remember. So I got up, got off the bus, got all the way home, and I was like, oh my god, I lost my flip phone. I was like, it's just like. <laughs> It I, literally was Cinderella. I need to. I hope someone finds my phone and texts me, and uh, that never happened. And I had to tell my mother that I lost my phone. That was like super expensive. It was like a hundred euros, and I wasn't allowed to have a phone for like three months. So that was awful. This was very. That's like I have traumatic phone damage things from my early childhood, or from my teen years as well. So it makes sense to me that this resonates so much with you because this happened at a similar time. I didn't have a phone tragedy like that. My phone tragedy came later when I had a T-Mobile sidekick that I begged for. And then I got drunk and I dropped it in the toilet. I had to figure it out. I had to figure it out without telling my mom and dad and some guy from Craigslist who I met on the personals section happened to buy one for me. So it worked out nice. Worked out nice. It was scary. I had some stressful nights trying to organize that. But back to the movie. (laughs) Here at The Faking Of, we know that rewrites like need to happen fast in Hollywood, right? Like we're now shooting the movie, but there are new, like I'm the studio now and we have changes that need to come through. So um, for example, we have Hilary Duff's uh, final monologue at the end that she delivers to Austin Ames where she's basically like uh, the what what would you call how would you describe this this speech she gives it come it's a speech about knowing your worth and calling people out on their bullshit and not going through life and dealing with other people controlling your narrative and mr austin ames is so full of you know worried about his image and and clearly has a couple months. What is it? When we, when students find out they get their early acceptance, it's in around homecoming season in the fall, um, which is not when most kids find out their college acceptance, which is in like March or April when, cause you apply to a bunch of schools. So for him 
to be like, I'm going to have this whole rest of my time in high school without this girl that I'm in love with. Um, she needs to take back the narrative and be like, you are a pony. And if you got any guts, you'll, you'll come to me in the next hour. That's a very good point. Yeah. I like that. She, I, it's very empowering how she like basically is like, bye bye and tells him what's up. While I definitely agree that all of those aspects of the um, movie are very essential to like the, the character of Samantha. I do think that sometimes the studio might want to shoot some alternate takes just in case they want to like fudge the messaging a little bit. And as you know, uh, we're shooting already. Things are happening fast. So we need to work on some rewrites. If you'll just open that document, um, we're going to go through some of the lines in the uh, iconic monologue. And I'm going to just ask you to workshop some changes with me. Just got to be really fast with it. Okay. So. Okay. So uh, if you can read me that first line uh, that you see there from your monologue. Look, I didn't come here to yell at you, okay? I came to tell you that I know what it feels like to be afraid to show who you are. Mm, that's really powerful. That's really powerful. But I would like to hear a version of it where she's saying the opposite of all of that and <sighs> doesn't use the word I. So go ahead. The opposite of this. So you want to hear that she did come there to yell at him? Just the opposite of all of it, but don't use the word I. That's the only note I have from the studio here. You know what, Austin? I think that you're a little bitch. You are a phony. You act like you are so poetic and you're going to be this Mr. Princeton boy, but here you are getting ready for the homecoming game. Well, you know what? F you. That was really good, actually. That's not how I would have done it at all. I would have been way more like, Austin, it's time to yell at you, okay? Time to tell you that you feel afraid to show who you are. See, you're, that's why you're the writer. You're coming up with much more creative ways. But so what's next? Okay, so just read me the next line. Okay. I really don't care what people think about me because I believe in myself. Even though I have no family and no job and no money for college, it's you that I feel sorry for. Wow. We love it. I, I love how cliche it is to say <laughs> in a movie that I believed in myself. Like that's literally, we need that to sell tickets. So gold stars for that. But we're um, getting notes from the studio that the word no is a little too negative. So just give me a version of that line without saying the word no. When I'm talking about like, I have no family, no college, no, that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. She needs to say the same exact thing, but just like we want it to sound more positive. You know what? I really don't care what people think about me because I believe in myself. Even though life's hard, my father's gone, I have to work for my awful stepmother, and we she doesn't let me keep any of my money, it's you that I feel sorry for. I'm not even able to plan for my 
future uh, without you know having to overcome so many different obstacles. But it's you, little rich daddy's boy, who has a whole car wash this empire of Los Angeles, which everyone in Los Angeles washes their effing cars. So you are loaded, and here you are trying to get sympathy and act like, well, poor Hillary Duff, me ugly. You you have to deal with the ugly diner girl. Like, eat shit. Oh my gosh, that was so cool how you just didn't say the word no the whole time. I was like waiting for you to say the word no, but it never happened. How do you do that? I would like be using the word no every sentence if someone told me not to use the word no. <laughs> well, I take direction and like I'm the writer here. <laughs> yes, clearly you're the right person for the job and we're lucky to have you because that sounded really positive. And also Acute, more accusatory somehow. So I, I love Austin ain't you're, a garbage hmm. can, honestly. Like, I don't know. Uh, I wish that I, my original screenplay had this ending where she becomes, she boss, girl boss is so high that she becomes queen of this, this guy. Yeah. What does she do? What, do you, what is problematic about Austin? He uh, is a liar <laughs> a lot. Um, but he is at the top of the food chain. He doesn't use his um, skills or sorry, his niceness and being a little poet. He doesn't um, ever help anyone else out. He doesn't ever show his kindness in any other way except online. So it's like usually when people are redeemable, they are able to break through and be like when the boy gets teased or something by his friends, like he would like tell him to cut it out or something, you know, or like when they're calling her diner girl. He would be like, all right, that's enough. Like, apologize. That is such a good point. They never, ever, and that's actually, I did, I think just on a subconscious level, picked up on that this last time I watched it is I was like, oh, he's so passive that it's like passive aggressive. Like people are doing these awful things and he'll just like, they show that he's not part of it by him like rolling his eyes or being like, whatever, or like paying for the, coffee after like the friends were all ridiculously mean to their server like cartoonishly mean Is that like, to the point where <laughs> sorry said so, i don't think i've ever actually seen that happen in real life like i feel like i would as if i was at the table next to them i would have been like excuse me little girl what did you say <laughs> to seriously i would be like i don't know if you guys know each other from school but this person is working and for you to be talking to them like this while they're working is absolutely inhumane and you, Although, to, you know all of out. yeah all those people would be these fucking people who show up to restaurants and start coughing at people in people's faces being like i'm not gonna wear a mask yes oh my god the popular girl what's the popular girl's name and just so quinn all of your listeners know i'm from the south and do that yes <laughs> v- duly noted and I'm British, which is why I was able to do that Rupert Grint impression so beautifully. Ugh. All the uh, maskers everywhere, so I guess I shouldn't uh, give it n- one voice. But. Well, I mean, the thing is about anti-maskers, they can look and sound like anything, but they're all idiots. <laughs> anti-maskers, anti-vaxxers, just get over yourself. So I'm glad that that's part of this rewrite as well. <laughs> I don't want to mess with perfection here because this is an iconic line but we do need an alternative so okay. just read me that last one waiting for you is like waiting for rain in this drought useless and disappointing 
I love that. It's really powerful. So we're going to keep it simple with the changes. Replace drought with a different natural disaster. And instead of useless and disappointing, make them sound like good things. But then wouldn't the whole sentence change? I don't know. I'm a movie studio. What do I know? Hold on. I got it. This is not art. I Hold on. Movies don't hold on. Waiting for you is like waiting for help in the middle of a wildfire that's heading towards you. Stupid and fucking terrifying. Very good. <laughs> you definitely did not make it sound positive, but I uh How do I make <laughs> the disaster sound positive, Nick? <laughs> I think that was supposed to be the challenging part. <laughs> but I actually don't want to hear a very positive version of that. Because wildfires are a serious issue. And what do you think? How do we stop wildfires in this Cal in California, Joe? You know so much about environment. Joe has also is like super knowledgeable about green energy. Also, Joe and I met, this is fun to talk about, I think. Joe and I met in college freshman year. We had classes together and then did not like from freshman year on did not talk or interact. I don't even think we were Facebook friends. And then uh, we like, um, you tell, you tell the story of how we interacted. Um, We had two freshman year, no one year, one freshman year class together. Um, But we like sat, I think diagonal or next to each other, but they were all these like, you know, college recent year independent seat. It's not like at a giant table or anything. So, but Nick and I never interacted, but we both had this kind of boss, you know, amazing, uh, not boss, professor who was like angelic and like essentially what Nicole Kidman is trying to be on Nine Perfect Strangers. Um, and all of her kids were like super obsessed with her and, you know, she blow, blow an 18 year old mind about books written from like 6,000 years ago. Um, so Nick and I never chatted, but five, no, seven six years later um we so we must have been like 24 or something um both ended up moving to la at the within like a month of each other um and then a couple months after we each had moved here we became friends with this guy named paul who's now one of our besties and paul had an oscar party and i forget if i feel like i was there and walked in and saw you or were you already at the party I know for a fact I was already there because I was frosting a cake. Okay. So I showed up and it was this Oscar party of, well, we were 24 and I think the young, the next youngest person there must have been like 45 or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, we walked in and it was like all these people were like, hello, like, who are you? And right. I immediately saw you and I was like, this kid looks so familiar. <laughs> Where are you from? And then we... Uh, instantly realized that that was I think instantly it was like within five seconds right I think we were like yeah and absolutely I'm dusty (laughs) it was like my whole brain like it was one of those moments where it's like you instantly recognize someone and your brain is like running through the rolodex of like what what season of my life what era of my mental illness what portion of my addiction was all of that from was I uh, yeah (laughs) yeah exactly exactly (laughs) like how hungry was i at that time because i i remember so little about freshman year of college unfortunately because i was pretty active in my alcoholism from the minute i got back to new york 
but I had already been in treatment for it at one time before that. But I, uh, so somewhere deep in my recesses of my brain, I was like, and then we were instantly, you said Heidi's name. And I was like, yes, we sat across from each other in Heidi's class. And Heidi was amazing. She was one of those professors. She even lived in the dorm, like the professors Did in you fellow. No, because I was too. I, I had too much social anxiety. You went I, really. Man, it was one of the coolest apartments I've ever seen in Manhattan. Um, for sure. Really, she was a like I said, she is a goddess walking on earth. Like it was, I was like, wow, you, whatever you've done to get here, like worth it. <laughs> yeah, I lo- I was always I was curious to see how those professors who lived in the dorm buildings would renovate or decorate, I guess, a dorm was the re- so I've been to like, I think what other, what other dorms have you been to where they had the professors like that? Never, ever one. Never oh, okay. So I've only been to hers. I don't think I've seen, I've seen like Ari's rooms and stuff and they're always nice. Okay. Um, yeah. But hers was at the top of Ruben, which is like an mm-hmm. old for the, you know, people who don't know New York city. It's like a building from like built in like 1900, 1905, like before world war one um super like tall for the age but it's only like 18 stories and at the top the, all the top floors are always like penthouses <laughs> so she had the very top room of this entire dorm or the whole floor was hers and it was like 15 foot ceilings like from that time period but like everything was styled pre-1950s um and she had this wraparound balcony in the middle of oh. like that was what 12th street so that's like the end of the west village before it turns into skyscrapers so you could see like everything it wasn't like impossible impossible location impossible apartment to achieve without nyu giving it to you you could see both rivers from her apartment and it's like that's what that's hard to do on that like that part of town but it's like because 14th street is right after and that's where the tall buildings start so you could see across it was crazy that's crazy wow they really, and they probably gave her a stipend to live there. It was also terrifying, Nick, because you got up there, or at least, I mean, like, I never, I grew up in the South where things were maybe two stories tall and one story, maybe a basement. And um, nothing ever three or four stories up, except when I lived in Greece when most buildings were like six stories tall. Um, but you got to the top of her floor and it was like the 20th story or whatever. And I, remember being terrified i was like do i need to hold the walls like am i gonna blow off am i gonna oh my god i remember being 18 and being like am i gonna jump off i was like this is unsafe for college students especially at that fucking school yeah like it was actually something i remember like consciously thinking about i was like i can't believe that there's like no guardrail or there's no like anything like it was just a ledge kind of like a patio you know like it was really scary and there was like all year olds and everyone was like trying to like you know, vampire her energy, like, oh my god, Heidi. And meanwhile, she's like a cult leader, essentially. It was right. like, oh, children, my ethereal does. So cool and collected. <laughs> Let me blow your mind today. <laughs> she was so smart. But also, I think the most interesting part of the story is that you experienced your first tall building. 
<laughs> well, like I, I've definitely it. been in skyscrapers, but it's been a long time. Like I've been in New York right. a couple times. Like I've been on top of the World Trade Center, and like that was also the same feeling where I was like, "Oh my god, I'm gonna die!" Yeah, <laughs> the call people. of the void. That's always what I feel when I'm in front of a, yeah. like a precipice like that. That's exactly what it was, and I remember being like, "Does anyone else feel this? Like I don't want to be up here anymore. Like this is yeah. gonna throw us off." <laughs> well, you know, and and I mean. I t- always took note of how at NYU the buildings were very secure, like uh, in terms of windows opening or getting access to the roof. Like you could access the roofs for emergency, but they were heavily alarmed, and there were suicide, um, like uh, resource numbers there, because for throughout the history, I think that has been a big issue for the school. And we know that to be true for the library in particular. They had to do a lot of renovations while we were there to prevent people from taking their lives um, from in those buildings. So it makes sense that only... The school, when we arrived in 2009, I remember being like, I know they're trying to... These all seem like cosmetic things. I was like, this is not... Like, you shouldn't be able to go on a roof for any emergency. Like, what emergency do you need to be on a roof besides the day after tomorrow kind of flood surge? <laughs> like, right. Like, there's no, if the building's collapsing or it's in danger, there's a fire inside, you don't go to the top, you leave. So, I remember being like two months into school there and I had my first call of the void where I was like, it was weird. Like, I woke up in a daze, like super stressed and like anxious and being like, I'm going to fail every, my whole life. Like, I'm not going to make it here. And like I started climbing the staircase inside Founders, like trying to get some air. That was what right. I thought, but I was going up. And then I remember I got right at the top and it had this message on the door that was like, you can call this number. You don't need to do this. Um, but I remember that scared me more than even like calling them. I was like, why is this door? Why would you be able to open it? Like you could like the, by the time a guard gets from the bottom floor to the top, like if someone was like super serious, like it's game over like why is yeah anyway i just thought it was that's cool. a really good point but that was sorry no, really about, i don't we don't need to like go down a rabbit hole <laughs> no well it's, i always thought it was such an interesting aspect of new york university that you know they did man. i think that's what there was, was a musical do you remember the musical that they did like the the theater kids did a musical for us orientation week about like basically the dangers of living in going to college in new york city it was like stds taking your own life um turning gay uh was getting that, that was it like madison square garden was it that one yes yeah where um t- where jesse or he played from rent uh jesse l martin i want to say his name is from law and order he high-fived me i thought of a good circle back to a cinderella story and like what all of this like kind of sh- this movie can show and could show more. And it's just about like how people go through shit at such a volatile age, like 16 to 19 to 20. And, but like, don't make the right decisions. And I think this movie, this character specific, or maybe it's boy, you know, I'm not going to speak for everyone, but um, like boys, cis boys make such like drastic decisions, like immediately. And like, they ruin people's lives and shit. And so like that, I kept thinking about that and like how, Mm male-centered the narrative is in the teenage years especially during those bush years where it's like he can be a dick but he's still gonna be she's gonna he's gonna be the catch and i was like hillary duff girl like amazing lead and like the the right her character um 
the movie should have ended with her just going to Princeton and being like, I got my whole fucking life. Like I'm going to get, if I can get Chad Michael Murray to fall in love with me over the internet. And also in real life with wearing a mask and these boys are this stupid that they can't, they don't know who, who was behind a, a masquerade mask. Yeah. Like if, yeah, she's like this, I haven't even unlocked a 10th of my power <laughs> and I've already had my moment at this school. The cheerleaders put on a play about me because they were so jealous. Like she's, she's seriously the, the girl at this school. She's also like the idea that she would be unpopular looking like this. (laughs) Totally. I think delegitimizes the story where it's like, I'm the ugly duckling. It's like how and where, because you have, you know, you have, I can see your hip bones through your, your midriff top, but that's not to say uh, she's not the right casting choice. I just think they didn't have to force in this, like, like she, well, I guess that was what's so aggravating about Chad Michael Murray's character is he's just so, everyone's so invisible to him. Who but is not in reality, like, you're right. I agree with the casting choices is wrong, but I think part of what the original script must have been going for is a commentary on how fucking male, like, all of these people, like everyone, so many people are raised with their privilege, especially their skin color and their gender to be main characters. And we're like, think mm-hmm. main characters. And so like, everything is just a fucking story. And like, the, we're not real people. And I feel like that that could have been made clear by the writing choice to make Hillary Duff's character like more, like she learns all these great lessons. She gets the fucking fortune at the end of the movie. She gets like the real, and then, but it's all about this boy that, she literally had to drag to like i would almost think like knowing like having been a closeted teenage boy who had to you know fall in line with the patriarchy and and like girls and and you know lead girls right technically like lying and like going out with girls although i only ever made out and over the shirt touched some girls and over the bra but um gold star here (laughs) um because i always felt like it was like anyways chad michael murray's character makes me think that like it was almost like queer coded character up until the very end where he's like all of a sudden nice guy because i'm just like why are you so lying (laughs) uh uh, so much about like who you are and stuff like if like you want to be a fucking poet and you can get accepted to princeton girl you got a good life (laughs) seriously yeah and you can pay to go wherever you want as soon as you just like convince your dad that it's a good decision like i'm not that concerned for you yeah and i think that i'm really glad you brought up like i think that's another reason this movie feels the story feels so relatable even though it doesn't work as an adaptation of cinderella the idea of having a secret romance like with someone online who pretends to be completely different in public or maybe doesn't see you like that in public or can't perhaps pretend like they can't see you that is very relatable to, I think, queer people of our age who mm-hmm. grew up talking online and kind of stepping out of the closet with our internet personas a little bit before we were able to do it with the people IRL. So um, I love that I didn't consider the idea that Ch- that Chad's Michael Murray's character was queer-coded because I was too distracted by the best friend whose name I think is Carter, being queer coded so actually i think i i when i was re-watching this recently i was like trying to remember watching this at 13 and like what exactly was i going like why was i so drawn to it and i don't have a good answer but what it made me think about was how almost 
I see myself in like four different characters and I'm like, why wasn't there to me now, you know, out gay man, cis man, um, that how did I get, how, how did I, did I think I was Hillary Duff at the time? I was like, I don't think so. But I see parts of my, me and herself in Carter's character, like also Carter's character ends up with a girl at the end, but like at no point, I guess he wanted to make out with like the hot pretty girl. And I remember wanting to make out with the hot pretty girl. Yeah. Her, and then there was another character. Did you catch it? That I th- a coded queer character? Let me think. Would it be one of the stepsisters? I just guessed. No, I actually thought uh, Regina King's character was, was <gasps> very queer-coded for, um, like, the fact that when she talks about her wedding dress, like, there's no mention of, like, any gender or anything like that. And I thought that that's all seemed very purposeful. Um, and there was, like, no, she was, like, always very, I mean, she could just be a independent, so straight woman, but, like, it felt very, like, a lot of her energy comes from like or that i felt was like now having known queer women in my life i'm like it felt very um or queer people non-binary anyone like it was just a very like empowered energy of yeah um i'm not gonna be a sex object actor choice you know like that's not gonna be part of this character yeah that's a really great point i think that there is definitely a queer energy radiating from radiating from that character in especially in that allyship of like you know helping somebody pulling things together in a time of need like using oh calling on the community like she brought um hillary to the costume store where she's like please clearly gay costume shop owner we and he's like free breakfast for a month and so it's like and then they have a montage of putting on clothes so i think which was i think that's that whole oh my god like i can't believe that it was like there were so many points in this movie where i was like god is this how all movies were made at this time where like they have to include some zany montage like either outfit change or it happens at other points in the movie too where there's like boing like it still happens i'm every episode of clip breakdown i'm like up and here's the second act i'm trying on clothes montage it's literally so annoying and then it was for nothing because they she just found a mask and was like He's like, well, I don't have a dress for that. And she's like, I do. So then I'm like, that happened well, in the real Cinderella? Like, was there a whole like outfit change or didn't the fairy gobbler just be like, here's your dress? She turned her into, yeah, her rags turned into magic. And at midnight, it all turned back into a pumpkin and the mice and rags. But in this case, yeah. her midnight shift, she had to be back by the end of her midnight shift when Fiona would catch the her. The whole costume scene didn't need to happen. It wasn't funny or cute because it's like, the, the only other thing I had a problem with the setting, otherwise I loved that it was set in LA and that, and it was true to, to LA themes was how skewed the time of day things would happen at. And I was like, is this a problem of, is this a product of like bad production and like taking too long on set or something? But it was like this dark out on homecoming night and she doesn't have a dress and she goes to play at a costume store and has to put on like a night suit. I was like, this will take two hours Yep. Yes, to go. You have to travel in LA, and like it would probably be fifteen minutes to wherever Regina King lived, minimum, if not thirty or forty-five minutes away. Um, and then she gets the dress, and then she goes, and it's like, wouldn't it be midnight? How long was she at this fucking dance? Another point in the movie where the time really made me, or like it actually lied to me as a kid, and I was like, I want to get to LA. I was like, these kids don't go to school until like ten or eleven a.m. in the morning. <laughs> 
Because like she's up and working at the diner, which would be like anywhere from six to nine, but it looks like it's two p.m. And I, right, which is a thing of L.A. Like it looks like two p.m. outside, like at you know nine a.m. So I was like, what are these? Like what universe is this where there's like thirty hours in the day? <laughs> Endless time, and that's true for a lot of teen movies. They have like an inordinate amount of preschool activity time. And traveling around the city seems to be, like, done by helicopter. So, definitely, I think that didn't... They didn't bring in L.A. as a character in that sense, in the traffic-y sense. But, um, but I, I think, yeah, overall, I appreciate that the San Fernando Valley spin on it. Like, I didn't... I wasn't able to fully appreciate that when I first saw it because I didn't live there yet. So, the movie is shot, and it's been premiered. Mm-hmm. And the despite a negative critical reception, a worldwide gross of do you want to guess on a budget of nineteen million, how much the worldwide gross was? Is that like within like the first two months or like what's the the bar? I think yeah, probably like the first two months. Okay, uh, fifty mil. So close, seventy million. I remember which is seeing a smash that. success. <laughs> That's a smash success. I guess at the time. Chicken prices were cheaper, right? Well, I'll just considering the budget. So they made a huge profit right. off of a nineteen million dollar budget, and the amount of like the stuff that it did for like the star power of mm-hmm. Hillary Duff. It's like that was after. So I had just moved back from growing up in Germany, like for five years, um, and so I had to go to this like awful southern middle school experience where it's like. 800 kids in a grade and like everyone hangs out like there's like everyone gathers in the gym in the morning and like lunch is like all these 800 kids so like there's so many different kinds of bullies um so sixth and seventh grade were awful but i saw this fucking movie <laughs> going into eighth grade and i remember i came back thinking everyone had seen this movie i was like this is like the movie of the year um because i did have aim at the time but i only like had like three friends from school like everyone else i had no idea who they were um and i came back and like a couple girls that I had like slowly been becoming friends with over my like year, um, but still wasn't like you know good friends with them. They're more just like this kid's weird. <laughs> um, I remember they immediately knew this movie, and I realized that none of the bo- no other boys had seen this mo- or were admitting to having seen this movie. So like, right, became friends with these girls who like I'm still friends with today, and like they were all like, yeah, we knew in eighth grade that you were. A gay because one that movie like i asked them this recently because because we were prepping for this um they were like that and you were obsessed with kelly clarkson they were like that oh was, my god was and i was like i don't remember being i remember being like kind of obsessed with her but i thought i don't remember they said they no like, you were very upset they were like no it was that specifically that we were then one so i reached out to three of the girls and one of them was like i knew that we had to like protect you we were like he has to like have a girlfriend we'll find one for him like you know he, he can't make it <laughs> that's hilarious i <laughs> i want to know i want to ask people from my childhood what when they first knew they would probably be like uh your voice <laughs> we're the only three so i went to this southern town for like five years during like middle school and then like first half of high school and like these are the only three girls that i still talk to and like i have to say the movie like cause some kind of like matrix disruption where like I was able to find my girls, you know, that's amazing. The first ones that like I could be normal around and like not have to right. worry about being 
uncovered, even though they were very polite and they were like, yeah, we didn't, we knew you couldn't handle it at the time. So <laughs> too much self-awareness. We, we remember being, one girl was like, I remember having a talk with one of the other two girls about how it might cause you like incredible mental stress. And like, we didn't oh, know, like, you, you know, and they were like, but like the way you would talk about girls or like that you weren't care, you didn't care about getting a girlfriend, but you knew that you needed one. Um, they're like, they're like, that was a clear giveaway. That's a sign. Well, thank goodness for those uh, women in our lives who were allies to us before. We even knew we needed allies. <laughs> yeah. And that's why they're our no. lifelong friends. God bless them. Um, God has blessed them. God has blessed all of those women in our lives and people. So since the movie was such a commercial success, it went on to spawn several straight-to-video sequel. Can you guess how many sequels it spawned? There were sequels to this movie? Several. One I want you to guess. I had no. I didn't even know there was one. Um, how did I miss that? I'm not surprised, actually. Well, we have a, to have a watch party for all of them. Ooh, fun. Okay, let's say you said there was a lot, so I'm gonna guess like Freddy Krueger style sequel and say eight. Okay, yeah, less Freddy Krueger and more, I guess, like Sleepaway Camp. I don't know. There's five. <laughs> Sleepaway Camp. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Oh my god, that's a good, that's an interesting movie too to talk about because there's, they bring up uh, trans issues at the end that didn't age well. But there's five uh, straight-to-video sequels, another Cinderella story starring Selena Gomez, which I have seen, a Cinderella story, Once Upon a Song, starring Lucy Hale, guessing that's a songwriting one. The Selena Gomez one was a dancing one, that was her secret thing. A Cinderella Story, If the Shoe Fits, starring Sophia Carson. Don't know what that must be. <clears throat> a Cinderella Story, A Christmas Wish, Laura Morano. <laughs> Something seasonal for you. Wait, and all of these sequels, like, canon, like, same production studio or writer, director? Like, what's the, or the just um, Cinderella Yes, yeah, very similar. Like, the same director did, uh, two directors did all five. TV movies, but I don't recall. I don't think they're the same director as the theatrical one, but they're not canon because they're different characters. They all center around different characters, okay. and it's another adaptation of Cinderella with a different is code of Selena Gomez. The last one is a Cinderella story, Starstruck, starring Bailey Madison, who is an amazing actress. What else is Bailey? I, I don't. That doesn't come to mind. Um. So. She was in this episode of Law and Order SVU. That was so good. She was in The Strangers Pray at Night. Uh, she was in... Uh, did you watch Wizards of Waverly Place? I, she was I, in anything Don't Be Afraid of the Dark by Guillermo del Toro. I think I know who you're talking about. The Little Girl. I have a question about the Selena Gomez one, because you've seen it. Yeah. So is she not... What is Hilary Duff's name in the movie? I just call her Hilary. <laughs> Samantha. Sam- yeah, Sam. Sam. Yeah, okay. Um, is it, is Selena's name, is it like, all? do they all yeah. take place in the valley or? Is... No, I think, I don't remember if a Cinderella, another Cinderella story took place in the valley, but it was definitely a different character altogether. So they're not sequels in the sense of like, none of them are at Princeton. No, never, never, never continuing the story. For the director of yeah. this franchise to do. I want to like think. go to Princeton. Yeah, I want to see Sam dump Chad Michael Murray for, like, the real poet at Princeton. 
Yeah. But Hillary Duff was so out. They were like, we're not going to just like cast some other blonde person to <laughs> pretend to be her. Like when Legally Blonde 3 or whatever. We should cover Jennifer Coolidge and Regina King because yes. they're both like, as much as Hillary Duff carries this movie, obviously, or got, got the, you know, reception, Regina King is an Academy Award winner now for It Feels yes. Good Talk. Um, phenomenal character in that. And it's just like, re-watching the movie i was like wow like there's a lot of bad acting in this movie but like her and jennifer coolidge if like i can't even imagine i'm sure you copies there's thousands of, of great women actresses but like i was like this movie like i can't imagine the directing was why this these characters are so good i think that these actresses came in and were like we're you're gonna make this whole thing about me like the whole the pink diner that's yeah, Jennifer Coolidge, like, and the salmon menu, and so much of that seemed like it had to be improvised. That the stuff that was funny with Jennifer Coolidge, like when she's like eating the salmon and it falls off yeah. the fork onto her or chest. When they're driving and they get in that car accident when the girl's the daughter's foot gets stuck. She's like adjusting her boobs, like it's uh, so like amazing. I was like. <gasps> she's such an icon you're right and same with regina king both of them like the characters are innate are like inherently generic because they're trying to be like uh, like just these two-dimensional recastings of these fairy tale people but they like became so three-dimensional in the hands of these actors and you really feel like i felt the warmth of regina king being like sam's godmother and um the like, I just believed everything Jennifer Coolidge is, or Fiona did, and her daughters like they they really yeah sold those that whole family system. I mean, the two daughters were like basically Abbott and Costello the whole time. Like they were really they were directed to go big. That you could see was in not um, subtle direction. Um, with Regina King, um, and this is kind of another segue into. Let me know if there's any making of. Uh, relevancy here um or faking of but i feel like with some of the script with regina king like there were moments where i was like watching it now in 2021 and also remembering being like why is there racism in this movie like why yes why is there like when carter's character like does the uh he starts like using A-A-V-E. yeah like he's yeah. like, trying to speak it's inappropriate and like she kind of just like shuts him down in the most like i wish she would be able to actually <laughs> shut him down but right like, you know they women have black women like that in situations like that can't fly off the fucking handle um but right it was like then there was another point oh just- which in itself is harmful it's like it's uh and they showed that part in the trailer uh of the movie like they sold that as like where she goes call me girlfriend one more time and um that was like meant to be like that was uh, yeah i remember it from the trailer and now looking back it's like seriously at least she also said betty uh, fiona called her betty crocker from the hood that was the second one where i was just like what writing is this and like thank god both of these women are like able to like deliver the actual acting of you as a viewer are supposed to realize that this is awful um, yeah but like without like i've definitely seen movies 10 years prior to that where like the same line was delivered and it was supposed to be like a <laughs> right like it wasn't self-aware of like the cl- it was 
clearly when Fiona said it, she was like, I thought that Jennifer Coolidge was playing it like she was very aware that Fiona was racist. Yeah. Um, and not just like, this is actually a joke on its face. But like good um, early Karen, like commentary, you know? Like, oh yeah, that's definitely. Coolidge like knew that like she's not supposed to be the hero. She's supposed to be very, yeah. uh, you're supposed to abhor people like that because they're all. You're the wicked stepmother. The earth. Yeah. <laughs> the other, I want to point out a few other things that didn't age well. Like a friend saying to the girl who said, I ate earlier. Madison, laxatives don't qualify as a food group. I was like, okay, well, that's horrible. That whole character felt very Candace Owens to me. I was like, what is this? Like, why is this black girl hanging out with these awful white people in the valley? Yeah. Like, this is like, and for her to be that character, that was another like moment where I was just like, this hasn't aged well. Like, this is so like awful directing of like using black people as prop comedy and right. narrative structure. Like it was so awful. But you're right. Also with the, uh, the eating disorder jokes, like it's like such a, the nuances and the like literal joke itself are, are problematic. Uh, wait, I hated the, that same scene is like the perfect class commentary of like hitting home during to me during these Bush years of like, laborers are bad and like anyone who's like you know like you deserve to get tipped and there's like you know should all be about service and all of this stuff right them calling her diner girl was like so like brought back like all these like marge simpson chanel moments for me like as a kid Uh. like i was too poor to afford like at the time i think the low end of like cool fashion for suburban kids was like abercrombie and american eagle and like i can only afford maybe sometimes like once a year like get some one shirt at Aeropostale and then like the rest was like Walmart or Kohl's or you know the second hand for my brother and shit like that or cousins um and like them calling her diner girl I was just like I would slap the shit out of <laughs> like yeah so bad now I would but like not at that age but like it's just so- I'm also like I have a hard time believing in the valley this is the only teenager at the school who has a job but that's movie land for you. Yeah. But yeah, the classism definitely came through loud and clear there. I hated that when Chad Michael Murray said, you're not a guy, are you? Because if you are, I'll kick your butt. I was like, okay, gay bashing. Um, I loved Hillary's character, Sam's, that Sam Doe carries it. Like, I think she says like, okay, next question. <laughs> like, Totally. She like, played it off good. She was like, I'm not a guy. Yeah. yeah it's, she said, I'm not a guy, and fuck you. Even if I was, you'd still want to eat this um, I have another uh, casting thing that I want to discuss, which is, like, as a closeted queer boy watching this as a kid, like, knowing that I was in the closet, I remember being like, this, do people think Chad Michael Murray's hot? Like, I didn't understand. <laughs> like, he was. that was the first time I think I'd see, I don't know if his One Tree Hill was before or after that. Um it was after before before okay so like i imagine during that show um i think i was living overseas at the time when that was popular um and but who i did wait who did you have a crush on of the male casting choices the dad the dad oh, oh my god the I dad completely forgot how much i was like wow he's super hot i would love like his nose like everything <laughs> yeah his face he was like a greek god i was like he looks like 
he would take me to a, like an ancient Greek place, you know, like he he was um Augustus Caesar or something. He would, and then when he died in that earthquake, I died. I cried real tears when he when he died. Oh, you mean her dad? I thought you meant Austin's dad. Oh God, the two of them both. But that guy I've seen, he plays. I've he's like in a lot of movies. But yes, he also has a Greco-Roman look to him, like a little more villainous. He's definitely more of the Dom. Yeah, he looks like, like I remember being like, because I was a nerd and would read Greek mythology and shit. I was like, Zeus, you can take me. You can come down as a swan and take me behind the olive tree. Like, <laughs> like with that nose. Um, oh my God. Yeah, he's gorgeous. His, his facial features are so pretty. Anyone else that you think was, uh, that you were hunky or... Mm, I can't think of any of my, who are you thinking of? Chad Michael Murray's friend who's not the three musketeer that's also has fear coding because why fight over like it's yeah. anytime I like there's ever like boys fighting over a girl I'm like one of you is gay. Like, he was super cute. You're, I did think that too. I was like, oh yeah, I would be into him if I was a child or whatever. And it was fun to see them like to me, him and Carter chasing each other is gay sex yes. because gay sex. Carter got on his hands and knees and crawled across that bar, which I have done recently. And the slamming the bar, uh, like while delivering a note about pirates, pirates of Penzance. Yeah. Like, oh, guy. guy. Yeah. You guys both are on prep <laughs> <laughs> from this conversation uh, alone. No, definitely one of them's on prep and one of them's DL. Like, being, <laughs> being bad <laughs> love that for them um but uh not him the other one the one who was kissing the adult member oh my god that's another problematic thing that hasn't aged well the old lady who you know tammy lee baker is that her name who was the who's the teacher uh oh yeah um lynn shay yeah that um who's lynn shay wait who are you talking about what are I you know the about? T- famous teacher from the 90s that like had a relationship with like her fifth grade student. Oh yeah. And Not Tammy Faye Baker, but um, something. I can't remember her name either. But she was, like the first, there's actually an unfortunate amount of those. But so there was a really famous one where she went to jail. And then as soon as she got out, the boy was like 21 and they like, they got married and they've, they have like, yeah. three kids or something. Um, there was that, the, is she the principal of the school is like, has a sexual relationship with one of the three musketeers boys. Where did you get that? I missed that. There's multiple times in the movie where, like, she's like, hi, Ryan. And, like, she... Oh, oh right, where she's like, playing favorites. Think, I think there's a scene in, where they're kissing in the movie. Isn't there? I did not get the like, teacher kissing. Like, they're hiding behind something. They're kissing. I'm pretty sure. That would be... That's an intense allegation because that would be... Or she's so weird. What, or something, like, while he's walking away. Like, it's very... There was something weird. And I do remember there being teachers in high school who I was like, why are you weird to that student? But I guess that's a real thing. I'm pretty sure there's a kissing scene at the dance. Like, there's something weird where they're both... I wouldn't say consenting because he's a 17-year-old, right. I think, in the movie. Or right. 17 or 18 at the time. But, like... The, there's some mystery. Yeah. Like, it's definitely, like they're both look like they're having fun um and like which is another weird directing thing of the movie which is like would this three musketeer boy be caught doing that at the school like i don't know maybe yeah maybe boys are dumb but yeah i guess you're right that's a good question i just remembered that i just realized that that was lynn shay from the um like 
insidious movies and all of the insidious movies Lindsay, like, the, it, the, lady? the older teacher yeah she's like then she was like into the further and insidious if you remember she was in all of those sequels as well but just another actor who carried this movie which is why it's one of our favorites and so one that i'm so glad we got to break down with you in detail today here on the faking of Joseph, can you tell people where they can find you or anything you want them to know before we wrap up? Yeah, my parting message is uh, everyone should be inspired by the undercover themes in this movie that aren't necessarily uh, executed on them by the end. But uh, and that is, you know, be yourself, call, know your worth. Don't let people, you know, fuck you around and like drag you around to their own narrative. Leave, live your own life and, and drive your own electric car. <laughs> Everyone should yeah. drive their electric car. Um, if you ever do want to follow me, uh, if you like anyone wants to know about crypto or blockchain stuff, my Twitter handle is crypto, C R Y P T O J E A U X. So Joe, but like how French people would say it. Love that. I didn't know you could speak so many languages. Actually, I did know that. Uh, Joe's learned. Only call myself fluent in English, but I'm familiar with about six languages. Which is why we get the clever Twitter handles. <laughs> Which is, yeah, catch me, catch me on those aliases. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, thank you so much for being a guest here on The Faking Of. It has been so wonderful getting into the behind-the-scenes story of a Cinderella story with you. To all of you listening at home, thank you so much for joining. Don't forget to comment, rate, and subscribe to this podcast so that you can see us next time on The Faking Of. Bye!